Hello, this is Bloobcast. I'm Rob. I'm Ewan. And I'm Joe. But the question is, why are we called Bloobcast? Yes! Yes! Carson and Peters! I'm glad we had the exact same thought, that's great. A Star Crumbler stores one talking about as if people haven't seen the title of this episode yeah today we're talking about beyond good and evil the multi-platform video game from 2003 question mark yes 2003 2003. yes (laughs) and the work of philosophical discussion by friedrich nietzsche so we're gonna cover both in depth today so strap yourselves (laughs) in guys this is gonna be a long one i hope you've all done the required reading because we won't be taking it slowly (laughs) now let's begin with thus spake zarathustra now uh, (laughs) do we know why this is called Beyond Good and Evil. Did Michel Ancel and the other pretentious French people making this <coughs> explain why it's called that and why, why it's named after a philosophical work by Nietzsche? I heard it was originally supposed to be called Between Good and Evil, but that doesn't sound as cool, and I agree. <laughs> yeah, that, that sounds a bit lame. It, yeah, it's, it doesn't sound strong enough. Funny. It's like, we're kind of in between good and evil, you know. But, like, beyond is... (laughs) It's like the Grey Jedi thing. Mm. Well, I was thinking of Project Zero, the video game, and how the English version got the much better name Fatal Frame. That was only the American one. In Europe, it's called Only the American. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. I just always call it Fatal Frame because it is a much better title. (laughs) It's a much better title, and it references the fact that you use a camera. You use a camera in this, we should point out, and, yeah, there's no reference to that in the title of this, which I find really odd, but, oh well. Beyond Lens and Shutters. (laughs) (laughs) To give people some context, so Beyond Good and Evil, yeah, is a 2003 action-adventure game that was originally for I was going to say for the PS2 but it was for the Xbox and the GameCube as well yeah. was it originally for Windows or did it just yeah, come out on it, Windows I think later? it was, it all was all originally. at the same time yeah wow that's pretty strong for that era to get them all out but yeah so Did it's about... no one bought any of them <laughs> I think PC games were quite common in that era because I remember some mm. games from around that time like Return of the King were released on PC as well. I'm just thinking about the huge amount of faff that the original Tomb Raider had to go through to get the Sega Saturn version and the PlayStation version and you know it was a problem releasing different ports for these games. Mm. So Platforms weren't as standardised back in those days. Yeah I think I think that, that that's probably Yeah it. I think PS2 era is when it became more kind of normalised to have like the different versions on different consoles like different ports as it were it's getting there i think the ps2 still had some weird baggage in the programming and stuff though made them a little harder to develop for like that's one of the pros of the original xbox was that it was much easier to develop for it was just um, more like just a pc really yeah, yeah. No, and then with the ps3 it was such a mess that a lot of games that were going to be exclusive ended up jumping ship to xbox <laughs> Yeah, they didn't really sort their shit out until, like, the PS4, did they? Yeah, the PlayStation 3 is, like, a really specific anyway, hardware. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, so, Beyond Good, <laughs> oh, yeah, Beyond Beyond Good and Evil. Evil. Yeah, we're getting sidetracked. Beyond Good and Evil is set in a weird... I, I think it is meant to be in our future, but, like, several centuries away. And so the idea is that it's interplanetary travel, all of that's going on, so classic kind of Star Trek stuff. But you play a young woman called Jade, who's living on the planet called Hillis, and oh my god an alien invasion has turned up and you discover through basically journalism because uh, jade is like a photojournalist or photo reporter discover a, a fiendish conspiracy involving i guess a military industrial complex because it is the french we're dealing with here so they're going to be very unsubtle about things the iris network is fighting against a threat no one knows exists if nothing is done the entire population will be destroyed Everyone thinks the Alpha Sections are here to protect us, but they kidnap ten people for every one that they save. The Alpha Sections know that an uprising of the population would spell catastrophe. And that's exactly what we need to do. 
And so, yeah, the military-industrial complex is in cahoots with the alien invading force, and you've got to find evidence to prove to the world that there is this conspiracy, and so that people will rise up and fight off this invasion and defeat the aliens once and for all. And yeah, you, you play Jade, but you're also hanging out with your uncle Paige, who's a pig. Who's yes. a pig? He's great. <laughs> He's an iconic game character. He is a pig man. An anthropomorphic pig in a kind of handyman outfit. Now may be a good time to show you my latest invention. Two years of work under the utmost secrecy. The outcome of a life's work. My little marvels, the jet boots. They run on homemade biocarbonate. Here's the pocket of pressurized methane. And here, in the soles, are the two turbo reactors. All you have to do to fire them up is contract your abdominal muscles. And that's the other thing, is that in this world, there just happens to be human slash animal people, all just hanging out, not causing any trouble. <laughs> <laughs> other than that shark that makes you play hot on the weird table hockey that, game. That shark man will go to hell. Not bad, Gene. There's another very threatening shark man in the bar as well. There is, yeah. He, he like oh, threatens yeah, to he... eat you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It kind of came out of nowhere. No one oh, so that's, that's one thing at the bar you've got. He's hiding the code to a door or something. You've got to go up and like spy on him with your camera to get the code. Yeah, it's one of those fun little challenges that you can have with the cameras is looking for the the different stuff because this is basically we're gonna go into this but this game is like just a ton of genres all shoved into one game so we've kind of mentioned the photography side but it's also a stealth game it's action adventure it's a racing game it's a sandbox open world that you can explore it's a collectathon it's very, very PS2 in that sense. Yes. <laughs> One of those yeah. cl classic, like, Ratchet and Clank, Jack and Daxter, throw as many game modes at the wall and see what sticks <laughs> kind of game design. And that's, that's kind of where the idea of the game kind of came from, because the gem of the idea came from doing bug testing for Rayman 2, because the creator of this game was Michelle Ansel, who created Rayman. Mm. Um, so basically, they ended up clipping the level and found they could freely explore, like, the worlds underneath the level, and... Rather than just patching the bug immediately, they just kept playing around with it, and then they just thought, wouldn't it be cool if there was like a game we could freely explore like different planets mm. and worlds? And they kind of yeah. decided to make a game built around the idea, which kind of sounds like No Man's Sky, but mm. obviously they couldn't do that on the PS2, so they had to scale <laughs> it back massively from what they originally had planned. They can barely do No Man's Sky in 2017, <laughs> let alone <laughs> 2003. I was about to say... Yeah, I was I was about to say that's very much to this game's benefit because I think if it had attempted that No Man's Sky style, it would have just been sprawling and like it, it's difficult enough to navigate a lot of it. Luckily, it gives you a pretty decent map to find stuff, but it's it's pretty big. And I I read that Ansel did do a bit of a very kind of savage cull of a lot of the content of the game because he realized that it was just going to become too big. Which, fair enough. I'd rather have a smaller yeah. sandbox that has, like, loads of stuff in it than, like, a massive thing where it's just empty. I think I made the right lot, choice, A lot of games sure. have that problem. My favourite thing about the game is the world and exploring it. It's a really fun sci-fi world. It kind of reminds me of the fifth element, which is funny because they're both French, but... <laughs> and, like, it's not a super massive area, but there's still, like, plenty of sci-fi things to do. Like, you can see the seeds of the original impetus having this big, sprawling galaxy explore, but massive scale down due to the ambition. And there's, like, you've got loads of different things you can photograph, because, like... One of the things mm. is you've got there's all these different creatures and you that's, get a, that's my favourite um, part of the game is, yes, is the animals. It's such a chill <laughs> thing to do. Okay, I've added it to my archives. And as you mm. mentioned, there's the air hockey from hell. <laughs> and you feel like the parts of this world because mm. of all the different things you can interact with. Yeah, that's a good point, actually, is Jade feels very part of that world. It's not like... She's not like a fish out of water. Yeah, there's everyone no, already there's knows like who she none is. of that. Yeah, and like, yeah, that's a good, that's a good point. Yeah. Everyone, you know, because I guess she just hangs out in town, so it's like you'll, you'll know her. I yeah, guess. she just, she just lives there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we've all kind of spoken about this kind of like before we've recorded, like in the 
build up to this, but like you're basically just like a working class character working as a photographer to make ends meet. Mm. You've got like a beaten up like hovercraft. That's your vehicle you drive, and I wouldn't be surprised if you use a Logitech controller to drive it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's it. Finito. Dead. Stupid tugboat! Yeah, luckily Jade and Paige don't fix up their submarine before they go out, so... Stay above uh, the water. <laughs> but no, I, I agree, Rob. I like the fact that Jade and Paige, they are these, yeah, working class, they're, like, dealing with the black market. Like, the game just explicitly says... Oh, the black yeah, market? Yeah, the, the Mamago garage. Oh, the black market rhinos. They're great, like, and they've got this amazing Caribbean style to them. And the music playing's great. <laughs> mama go garage, you know. Where your mama won't go, you know. Come, mama go garage, and so. But, but they're the black market, like they explicitly mention that they go there because presumably they'll take currency while well, they take these pearls mm. uh, that other shops oh, yes, the won't, won't take, yeah. Because the pearls are like, the, they're kind of like a gating mechanic yeah. for the game because a lot of the areas you go to, you need upgrades to your hovercraft to be able to get to that next area. Like you need like a stabilizer, you need a cannon mm. and the pearls are the only way to get that. So you need to get enough pearls to get that next part of your submarine to progress yeah. through the game. And then eventually you get to go into space. You get the pearls through challenges and puzzles and stuff that you stumble across by uh, exploring the world. It's a lot like... Yeah the stars in Super Mario 64 or like the uh, power cells in Jack and Daxter that sort of thing. What, what I liked was so they talked about freedom a lot as you said it's like an open world thing and, and yeah they wanted this sense of like absolute freedom but what I liked was that that freedom at first is very limited because of this pearl currency but also just the way the world works like your freedom much like in real life is limited by money by the government and the military telling you where you can and can't go there's like re restricted zones that you get shot if you try to go into them <laughs> that sort of thing and i really like that because it's like yeah that's real life <laughs> <laughs> yeah speaking of which i have to talk about the news report at the start of the mm. game and there's like ads for the alpha section to like the government <laughs> Here on Hillis, war has once again reared its ugly head, striking the civilian population. Luckily, our elite forces have once again arrived in the nick of time. And when the game started, it really reminded me of Starship Troopers. Yeah. Because it's yeah. very much like that kind of, oh, join the fascists kind of thing. Look how great fascism <laughs> is. <laughs> I'm doing my part. Yeah, it's got yeah. that. That, uh, that propaganda element to it, where it's like, look at how great the alpha sections are being by protecting us from the doms. And the, the doms are the aliens that they're ostensibly pro I... protecting the humans from, but it's like the alpha sections are clearly starship troopers. <laughs> Just space marine fascists. Young people from all over the globe are joining up to fight for the future. I'm doing my part. I'm doing my part. I'm doing my part. They're doing their part. Are you? Join the mobile infantry and save the world. Service guarantees citizenship. And then the page outright bad them on live TV at the very start when the news reporters come. Yeah, they instantly like cut him off. They're yeah. like, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, moving on, you know. It's like, yeah, that's that's uh... <laughs> You can't badmouth the military on TV, yeah. you crazy. Miss, a word for our listeners. Uh, yeah, yeah, well, you guys are not what I'd call as fast as a speeding bullet. Keep doing nothing, and next time, there'll be nothing left here to save. Cut! Hey, Pop, stay zen. Don't get your snout bent out of shape. Yeah, so we jumped right into this. So you want to kind of talk about how we discovered the game, or like our first experiences with it? Yeah, I guess I can go first, because I, I was probably the one who suggested we do this episode. So it's one of those games that I definitely remember from like years and years ago. It may or may not have been in like... I used to get those Guinness Book of World Records gaming books. Did you guys have those? Was it just me? No, I did not have those. 
I think um, I had them in school. Had the, I yeah. Them in school, but I never actually owned a copy myself. All of my early gaming knowledge came from these Guinness Book of World Record gaming books, and I, <laughs> I yeah, it's really funny. But I think I want to say I saw a picture of Beyond Good and Evil in that in the 2008 edition. I want to say, which sounds about right. I don't know what the world record was that Beyond Good and Evil would appear in it, but hey ho. So I'd, I'd always kind of known about it. It was one of those PlayStation 2 games that was like, oh, you know, that kind of looks cool. I got to check that out. But famously, this game just flopped. It flopped <laughs> horribly when it initially came out. And oh, it, and it, yeah, later. but it developed like a cult following because of nerds like me who looked at it and said, that looks kind of neat. So years later, <laughs> when I had a PlayStation 3, I actually got it on that. So when I replayed it recently, I was playing it on my PS3 version, which I, I want to say I originally played because I, I checked the original download date. I originally played this game in 2014, which is almost a decade ago. And that's really upsetting. <laughs> So, yeah, and I had very vague, depressingly very vague memories of it. I thought that my memory of it was, like, pretty tight, but actually replaying it, I was like, oh, wow, I barely remember a lot of this. So it was really <laughs> lovely returning to it and actually, like, getting back into this. Yeah, very cool science fiction story. I kind of think of this game as, like, Baby's First Rebellion, Baby's First Revolution, because that's what the game's about, is, is encouraging, oh. like, a mass uprising. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've got points about that later, yeah, but yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a very good point. Yeah, so that's it, really. I Yeah, I, I knew about it for a time. I then finally got to play it several years ago, and then I said, hey, let's do this episode. So now I got to replay it, and I had a good time. I 100%ed it, got all the animals, got all the pearls, because as established by this show, I'm like a completionist freak. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And I apologize to everyone for being the way I am. But anyway, that's me. <laughs> I did attempt that, but then I counted the game-breaking glitch, which I'll explain later. Woo! Gaming. <laughs> for me, I first heard about this game via an advert slash commercial on TV around the time it came out, which must have been around late 2003. So I'd have been about 10. I have never known a time when my world was not at war. I suspect conspiracy. The government thinks I'm a threat. They're right. Uncover an epic story of truth and deception. Expose the conspiracy. Capture the truth. Beyond Good and Evil. I remember seeing like a picture of it at the end of the advert and saying it was a 7 plus, and I was like, I remember saying, oh, Beyond Good and Evil, that game looks cool. And my mum was quite picky about the games that she let me and my siblings play. And she heard the title Beyond Good and Evil. I think because of the word evil, she's like, ooh, that doesn't sound like a very nice game. And then I just didn't think much of it after that. And then it didn't stop me getting it for my birthday about a year later when I got it on the GameCube. Oh, wow. And I loved the style of the game, but I had no idea what I was doing because at that age I was pretty useless at games for the most part which is why I, wow. was on, I was always on cheat websites looking for cheats how to get past certain bits but but yeah I re ended up rarely touching it and then I sadly ended up sending my copy to game a few years later but when I was about 19 so I'd have been in uni at the time and this was about 10 years ago or so I rebought the game on the PS2 but I didn't end up nice. any, I didn't end up playing it properly because I had a lot of other games to play and plus I was at uni so coursework and stuff but then a couple of years, I think this after we started the Bloomcasts, I saw a video by a YouTuber called Mac McMuscles for his What Happened series, which is on Beyond Good and Evil 1 and 2, which we'll get onto later. And the way he talks about the game was like, this, I was like, this game sounds really cool, really ambitious for its time. Maybe I should finally give it a go. And I did, and I was just like blown away and just absolutely loved it. And I was like, yeah, this would be fun to talk about on Bloomcast one day. And now we're finally doing it because this year is the 20th anniversary of Beyond Good and Evil. If I was Googling Beyond Good and Evil for GameCube, you could have got about 25 quid for that, Rob. So, oh well. This was in 2008, so... Yeah, no, I'm meaning, like, if, if, if you'd held on to it. I mean, 25, like, all right, you know. No, the, the other thing I've just come across here is there's a copy of, guys... There's a copy here of Beyond Good and Evil 2 for the PC for the low, low price of £52. Oh. I mean, that sounds pretty good, guys. So maybe I should I get hear that's it. Beyond Good and Evil 2. I'm surprised it's that cheap. 
Yeah. Yeah, wow. But, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's a good find. you got to jump on that, man. Anyway, Joe. <laughs> uh, I had never played this game until <laughs> I was told that that's what we're doing this week. <laughs> um, I'd heard of it many, many, many times, and it's been on my it's been on my Steam wish list for the best part of like ten oh, years am- now. Amazing. I don't actually have a computer that can really run games anymore. So oh, every no. so often, I just get an email from Steam saying Beyond Good and Evil from your Steam wish list is on sale, and it's always like fifty p or something stupid like that. But yeah, yeah, no chance. And you're just you just never think to yourself, well, I might get a PC one day. <laughs> I'll buy it now. I can yeah. play it. Fifty p. It's an investment. So I just buy it now. Because <laughs> I used to do that when I, I when I I just had my Apple laptop. I would I would buy games <laughs> that I was like someday. And then I was proven right, so... Because I got a PC now. How much do those games cost now? Have they gotten more expensive or cheaper, do you think? Like, I got them all pretty cheap when I bought them. Like, a lot of them weren't. Like, I didn't I didn't buy, like, a super expensive, like, 50 quid stuff. I was buying, stuff like, that was on sale. classic games. Yeah, stuff like Psychonauts and stuff that's, like that. That's so, another like, game that I'm in the same boat with. thing that's been on that, my that, wish that's... list forever, but I've never played. <laughs> and I probably bought it for 50p yeah. and then finally played it recently. Recently. you know it's like great <laughs> but yeah i, uh, anyway, I did yeah, sorry i did uh, i played beyond good and evil in a pretty short space of time uh, a couple of weeks ago and i thought it was very good <laughs> it's pretty short isn't it like in, uh, i suppose like, that yeah, it, it's, yeah, it's, it's can... the length you put into it isn't it because you you could do your 100 percent stuff like you that's very much not me i think i somehow managed to get the absolute minimum number of pearls without having to grind at all. Well, that's good. So, yeah, like, I, 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 just, is, I, I happened is... to go to the, the volcano at the end once I had the spaceship. Right, yeah, and, I think... And that, yeah, and that gave well. me the exact perfect number of pearls I needed to finish the game. Oh, very nice. <laughs> to escape to the one place that's been corrupted, corrupted by, by capitalism. capitalism. Although in this game it has... Oh, corrupted by imperialism. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's sad. Yeah. Well, like the story feels very of its time because I think Michel Ansel said he was kind of inspired by the events of 9-11 for this game. And mm. it does kind of have an X-Files vibe with the whole government covering up the existence of aliens, kind of like Captain Scarlet, mm. and secretly working <laughs> alongside them. Plot. Mm. Yeah, that seemed very uh, Star Wars prequels to me. Both sides mm. of the conflict being controlled by the same people. And that was taking a lot of cues from, uh, you know, post-9-11 politics as well. Yeah, well, it's yeah that that idea of the kind of the security state mm. kind of taking like more and more powers and limiting your freedom that comes up a lot in this era. Because even when you're in the hovercrafts and you, there's areas you can't go because then a big cannon will come out of the water and yeah. shoot you. <laughs> yeah, there's like a specific like you are leaving the quarantine zone. <laughs> so there is this idea that. For the purposes of safety, of course, for your safety, guys, you can't leave. <laughs> I'm going to blow your head off. It's for your own safety, okay? Yeah, 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 yeah. Hold like, still. You, you, it was interesting. I was rewatching some bits of it today just to remind myself, and, and there's an interesting point. There's the guy that Mr. DeCastellac guy at the start mentions that the Dom's aliens, like, so the things they're fighting, have apparently just taken... They've taken over the rest of the planet. It's only that one specific settlement that you're in and presumably other small pockets of like civilization under these like massive shielded barriers they're like the only parts that haven't already been taken over by the doms like the the idea is that the doms have just completely enveloped most of your planet and most of the known galaxy at this point it's a really powerful dangerous threat there's just nothing they can do about it yeah they just get like yeah. these massive bombing raids and uh, every so often and there's nothing they can do about it. Yeah, well, what I love is the idea that the shields that you need to survive these bombing raids, you have to pay for those. <laughs> yes, uh, <laughs> it's the first mission in the game. You have to you have to get you have to get money to pay your electric bills. Yeah. <laughs> Shield disabled. Your optima account is 350 units short. Your electrical supply has just been blocked. Gotta be joking. Thank you. Thank you. And it's like Again, because this is a working class. Before story, the orphans die! Yeah, oh my great. god! Pay EDF or the kids die! <laughs> I like how Jay's basically just an average everyday person who gets sucked into this big otherworldly plot. I like that angle of it because 
as we said like, at yeah. the start, she's basically just a person who suddenly who's got the skills they need. Um, I do yeah. kind of think the yeah. game take goes away from that bit at the end. This Massively. whole kind yeah. of oh secret power <laughs> kind of thing. I was like, yeah, I would have yeah, so... they kept that out of it, but. Yeah, what it, can you it's do? not really a spoiler because the very beginning of the game kind of teases at it. But yeah, there's like this idea that Jade is not what she seems, if we can say that. I think it works as a sequel hook. <laughs> but... That's a shame. As <laughs> <laughs> going to it... a lot of this episode, it would work if they made a sequel. But yeah, I I think I think it works like as because I think you know the game still needed like a big finale but for me i guess the finale is is saving oh i guess this is spoiler well okay i won't say specific characters but you save your friends from the doms you save such and such people from the bad guys and you defeat the evil alien boss at the end and like that plot works that's fine you don't need the space jesus stuff (laughs) unless you have a sequel, which, as of now, this game does not have that. So <laughs> it, it, it just it just overtook Duke Nukem Forever, didn't it? As the the longest yeah. sequel in development. Damn, time for a reboot. We'll get onto That's that. We'll get onto that later. But going back to the photography, I think I think it's a really unique kind of aspect of the game because it's not something you really see in a lot of games. Yeah. As in, like your skill. I think other games have photography, of course, but this is one where it's actually integral to the story. Like you need to take pictures mm. of the aliens doing evil things to kind of yeah, uncover so you... the truth. We need proof. One, you get inside the Nutripils factory. Two, you take pictures of the Alpha sections and their victims. You'll be in constant contact with May. She'll broadcast your photos as quickly as she receives them. People must know the truth. Yeah, I'd like to know too. Like who's actually telling the truth in all of this? I think the only other game I could think of where that involves photography to this extent is Pokemon Sap. But that's a completely different vibe. It's basically you just on the little yeah. theme park ride taking pictures of Pokemon and there's no story. Fatal Frame. Fatal Frame, of course. Like there are. Oh, yeah, I've not played Fatal Frame. So. There are camera games, but what I like about this one, yeah, is that it is kind of integral to the story. The idea that you are a photographer, like that's really important because you you get conscripted early on by a, a kind of a rebel group, essentially a resistance group. Oh, who's led by Morpheus from the Matrix? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> oh, for a second there, I thought you were actually meaning. No, Lawrence he's not. Fishburne. He's not Lawrence Fishburne. But you're right. Yeah. No, I was no, thinking. He looks like Lawrence Fishburne. He does. He does look like him. Yeah. But no, it's. I think that's great. Is that? Again, is very that of you, its time. Exactly. But yeah, you join this resistance group, and their whole plan is a very kind of resistance group idea, which is like it's not to take on the the alpha sections and the doms in like a big military coup or combat it's to build up a small but you know increasingly more influential propaganda campaign and and that's very real that's a very real freedom fighter rebel group activity like if you look into like the history of like yeah stuff like the bolsheviks in russia half of their problems was just getting printing presses <laughs> And just printing newspapers and the the secret police destroying the printing presses. You know, it's it's such an integral part of rebellion activity. So I really like that. Yeah, your entire story really is sneaking into government and military facilities, taking photos of dodgy stuff that they're getting up to, and exposing a conspiracy between the aliens and the government essentially i think that's such a great unique story that yeah no other game has ever kind of touched upon in the same way and i think the gameplay really kind of hammers home the impact you're having because at the start when you go to kind of the main city that you travel through like the npcs are kind of like just walking around minding their own business some if you talk to them they might kind of talk mm. to you about what's going on but then as you start taking more pictures yeah. you see more and more of them holding like protesting signs against the alpha sections yeah continues all throughout the game like the more, the more missions you do the more kind of people you get protesting so as you said at the start you're starting revolution yeah you see you see the, the same people who you if you use the code words from the iris network on them they'll like, tell you to piss off basically but then the same people later on are out there holding up protest signs and stuff there's the sense that you are changing the world it's very cool it, it there's a there's a kind of reactive environment which was still a kind of fairly new thing in gaming at that time like i remember like 
I, I was listening to an interview with the Fallout developer and he was talking about like the very early reactive gameplay design in, in Fallout in like 1997. So this was still a fairly new thing to actually have the environment respond mm. to your actions, I guess, which is cool. No, it's a really great, great detail that you just, you just see more and more protesters. And I'd have loved to have seen... I, I always think this game, yeah, it would have been great if there was a sequel or if there was like an expansion on it. I don't know. I just think there's so much potential for this story and this world. There's like yeah. so much you can kind of do with it, which I really yeah. like. You know, which which I'm is great. It fires the imagination. Well. I'm happy with what we got, but we all love Double H. This virus. Don't worry, everything's just fine. I thought the, the context that's provided by the story and the world was definitely the most interesting part of the game. The gameplay was the kind of classic mesh-mash of 2003 yeah. <laughs> game stuff, you know, like uh, yeah. you've got your like yeah. GTA Jack 2 driving around, doing challenges and... Platforming. Legend of Zelda control scheme, I think. Like it feels mm. a like an Ocarina of Time era Zelda game. And like... Yeah. Yeah, like the, the like light stealth stuff as well. Michel Ancel, the creator of this game, apparently was inspired by Wind Waker for this game, but not for the reason you think. He thought Wind Waker was boring because you've got this bar social with like, nothing to do. He wanted to do the opposite of that. That joke's on him then, because like, the, <laughs> the exploration stuff is much cooler than the linear stealth stuff. <laughs> Well, I don't know. I really like. I, I'm gonna be the weird one and say I really like the stealth stuff in this game. Yeah, the stealth kind of got on my nerves a bit, cool. especially when the you, you get to a point where if you get seen by the guards, these auto turret things just in, instant. Yeah, the robots. Oh, and that, that was infuriating. So much. <laughs> especially like janky 2003. This game, I remind you, plays like Ocarina of Time when you're running around. And, uh, you know, no one's gonna look at the stealth section from that game and go like, yeah, great, this this works fine. <laughs> what, what they did was they added a crouch. <laughs> yeah. And uh, apart from that, you're expected to, you know, just do that for quite a lot of the game. And get insta-killed if you get really, seen. Is it really bad that I disagree with you on the insta-kill? I really like the insta-kill. Yeah, that, that's pretty bad, man. <laughs> I do kind of get, because if they didn't have the insta-kill, you'd resolve all the stealth situations by getting into combat, and there's no risk for not being stealthy, other than like, having well, loads of enemies still pretty you. difficult. Yeah, the combat's still yeah, pretty tricky. Fun. Like it, it's it's hard to fight the the soldiers if you know if you're just trying to fight them head on. I didn't figure out you could actually like, kill them for a while. Yeah, no, exactly. They're difficult to kill. I, I just assumed you couldn't. The reason why I like the insta kill is because for me, I always felt like the one thing that kind of spoils the photojournalist side for me is the fact that you get discovered multiple times like either the doms aliens attack you which is kind of plausible because they're like weird monsters so it's like all right maybe they can't tell who you are but the moment that the soldiers see you like there should just be an outlaw thing like posters out looking for you like immediately you know there'll be news reports about you oh like in Oddworld. yeah 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 so i i i like the fact that with the insta kill element it literally forces you to be as stealthy as possible. Like, you can't be seen. And it's like, yeah, that's a lot more realistic. Like, oh my god, if any of us break into a military base, we cannot be seen while we're in there taking photos of, like, classified documents or whatever. Just the route because they will shoot the you on site. <laughs> <laughs> so, I get what you mean, Joe. I think that... This game is, in a lot of ways, it's very jack-of-all-trades, master-of-none yeah, sort of design. As well. But, as we've said, like, the exploration's great, and the entire thing is just, yeah, like, what I like about it is that it's all of these various elements thrown together into a pot. None of them quite work as well as you <laughs> would want them to, but... It's still really cool that there's a game where you can be stealthy and you can explore and you can take photos and, and you can race you can, with a really you can race. Spanish music. Yes. <laughs> when it sounds like they're saying Buddy Holly. Buddy Holly, Buddy Holly, what a do da na da da. The whips, the weak, and the wusses still have three more seconds to get the hell out of here and back to your knitting. <laughs> Yeah. 
I'm always talking about the mini games, you. Do we want to talk about that stupid sharp air hockey? See, I didn't. I didn't have a huge problem with it recently. I remember having a problem with it over, like, well, not over a decade ago, but almost a decade ago. I had a lot of trouble with it. Whereas this time round, I actually aced it really quickly. <laughs> I did alright on the first one. Sorry, Rob. The it's second, luck. I didn't do amazing. It is and I luck. couldn't be bothered to really get good at it. Get good. Now I'm going to talk about why I didn't 100 this game for this playthrough, which I did originally have planned, because I ended up coming across a glitch, which was annoying. So there's a section of the game mm. called, was it the Slaughterhouse? which hmm. is like the second main big section you go to. And I didn't realise it until after this stuff, but there is a glitch where your NPC companion, hmm. Double H, he will go missing from the map. And yeah. there's no way to get him back, which kind of forces you to have to restart your game. And I was just thinking, hmm. what? what do I do? What do I do? And I looked up, I was wondering if this, this was a glitch, turns out it was. And all the advice said, restart your game. I That's, don't know what uh, triggers it. Yeah. But just restart your game. Luckily, I had the second yeah, save backed up from the last time I played it, which was like two years ago. Right. So I was able to go back. And that was around about the same place in the Stalker House. So I just had to really get a lot yeah, of I... I didn't bother with the first time. When you told us about that, Rob, I spent... I was like just before the slaughterhouse and I spent the whole stage making sure that Double H was with me before I saved every time. I didn't yeah, have yeah, the space no, on my memory no, card was... to save like a like a backup or anything. So I just had to make sure he was with me. I'll find a way to join you. Watch your back, Miss Jade. Yeah, I was the same. I think that I want to say that like the glitch can, I was looking into it as well, and I think that glitch can happen potentially anywhere, but it's most likely in the slaughterhouse is the idea or something like that, because I was looking at it and I think people did say they'd had that same glitch, but with other sections. So yeah, it's it's ugh, classic old game design, I guess. Like, again, I remember the, I should mention, the guy's called Tim Kane, the, uh, the Fallout developer, he mentions that right before fallout shipped they noticed like a game breaking bug <sighs> that would like basically break the game so they had to spend like an extra two weeks just trying to find that like literally their work was focused on just finding this one bug because it was really difficult to find which is just yeah it's literally needle in a haystack stuff so you can't really blame the developers when a really irritating glitch like that happens, but at the same time it's like, I'm pretty sure the glitch still exists on like, the Steam version, so it's like, come on guys. Yeah, definitely gonna come <laughs> and fix that one. Maybe I'm wrong, maybe someone will say, actually, uh, Ubisoft fixed this years ago, so R.I.P. Rob. I mean, I still tried. finished the game, because I had my backup yeah. save. R.I.P. <laughs> the double H in that save file, who got Aww. pulled into the ether disappeared somewhere, falling through the void. And there's a weird thing, you can still sometimes hear his voice. <laughs> oh my god. Oh. oh, it's like, um, it, oh, that's it's like, uh, Homer Cubed. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, th that one episode of The Simpsons where Homer disappears into the 3D dimension and he can still speak to them. Did anyone see the movie Tron? No. <laughs> yes. No. <laughs> I mean, no. <laughs> Here is an ordinary square. Whoa, whoa, slow down, egghead. But suppose we extend the square beyond the two dimensions of our universe along the hypothetical z-axis there. <gasps> this forms a three-dimensional object known as a cube or a frinkahedron in honor of its discoverer. Help me! Are you helping me or are you going on and on? Oh, right, and of course, within we find the uh, doomed individual. Let's talk about the companions, because uh, besides that glitch, I actually think the companions, like, play pretty well. Yeah, I think so. You know, I didn't have any I didn't have any trouble with them, really. No, no I didn't either. They always know what you want them to do. Yeah, yeah, they, they always run to whatever button you need them to press or whatever. They don't, well, they do get in your way, but usually it's fine. It's just little things like that. They, they hold their own. I didn't have to babysit them too much, which was good. Yeah, so basically the two companions you have are Paige and Double H. And we've mentioned, so uh, Paige is the pig man. He's kind of a handyman. He, grumpy he's uncle. Grumpy uncle. He's he's building the, the airship that you drive around in. Whereas Double H is 
one of the secret agent operatives that you work with in the in the resistance group. You rescue him, that's how you meet him. You yeah. rescue him from the factory. Yeah, and we all love Double H because he's a himbo, or I get a himbo vibe and he shouts from him. Carlson and Peters all the time. Yeah, and he's a, he's a big big guy, he's a sweet, lovable, affable secret agent. And I get I guess it does make sense that he would fit because he he's dressed in like the soldier's uniform, so that does. So it actually does make sense, but I do love the fact that he's like, he's kind of like the Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> situation where it's like, how the hell are you supposed to blend in to a crowd? Because you're towering over everyone else. When I first saw so. him in the um, <laughs> in the soldier outfit, I thought that the game was telling me that the Doms were kidnapping and brainwashing people to turn them into soldiers. Maybe. I, I, th- I thought, yeah, I I thought mean he that... was having his mind wiped to do that. But like, I don't know, that didn't really come up. I think he's just always wearing that. Yeah, I, I assumed that he was wearing the, the uniform as like a disguise. Yeah. But yeah, you're I right. Think that's, it's, I think that yeah. is what it's never, it is. It's never really made clear. I, I thought, I thought. It's never really made clear though. Yeah. When you're in the slaughterhouse, he walk, he, he can walk through all the lasers that the guards can walk through, but you can't. <laughs> yeah, and he, he refers, I think he refers to it as our armor, I think, or something mm. which kind of implies that that's just always what he wears. Yeah, it's a bit of a weird situation because I did speak to the Hilly and so the guards that you meet in the town, they mentioned that they're actually part of the Hillian army as opposed to the alpha sections. So it's kind of confusing. I think it's like the idea is that they wear the gold armor, whereas the alpha sections have like a black armor. I hadn't quite picked up on the difference between the normal soldiers and the alpha sections at that point. So I I, I thought that he was being brainwashed into being an alpha section. Yeah, it's not clarified at all. <laughs> it's it, it's not it's not important really, but it, it is interesting that there is this distinction between the Hillian army and the the alpha sections. But, it really does like throw yeah, you no, into a world that's already existing, you know. Yeah, and that that's the coolest thing about this game is is that it, it it's doesn't just this hold, lived in world. No, no, it's like this is the world you either roll with it or there's no audience surrogate character to get everything explained to them. Yeah. Mm, yeah. yeah you get this whole kind of like snapshot of this world and it's just like, yeah, you've got only a tiny little snapshot. It'd be great to get more, but I'm glad you got what we got. And it's got, <laughs> it's got a great cult following as well. Yeah. Well, there's, I mean, any game that has a gay Hispanic hologram, that's gonna... Oh, yes! That's gonna, that guy's great. Secundo. What a pessimisto! You faithful servant, Secundo, has found the answer to your money problemo! You're gonna get a cult following on that alone. Uh, <laughs> well done, Yade. <laughs> I, I really like... One thing I did want to mention as well, before we start talking about sequels or anything like that, is I really like, I guess, what the nerds n- are now calling game feel. <laughs> Oh yeah. I think no, I think I think that's a really strong part of this game because I really like little things like when you pick up a unique item, Secundo the hologram, he does a scan of it. There's like a little sound effect to everything, isn't there? And it like spins as it lights up. Yeah, and then there's like a little piano thing. Da-da-da. Every time I hear it, it's like I'm it makes me happy. <laughs> <laughs> Nice job, Yeet. Yeah, I get what you mean, and... When you get a photo of a new animal, you have, like, the scan of it, and then, like, you get money from it, which, of course, gives me endorphins, because I I need money. (laughs) Okay, it's filed. Good luck for the rest. So just little things like that, and then you get, like... Oh, yeah. That's the dark side of the sound design, I think. The, the <laughs> fact that every time you go into a vending machine, it blares the description of what this thing is every time you scroll onto one. So it's not just like you go into the yeah. menu and it tells you, a star coast restores one heart of energy. A star coast restores one heart of your energy. Um, one time. Yeah. It tells you every yeah, time you scroll onto one. A Starkos, a Starkos, a Starkos, a Starkos, a Starkos increases one heart of your energy. A Starkos restores one heart of your energy. Yeah. You just gotta match X, there's literally nothing else you can do about it. <laughs> the music's great, I, I really love the music of this game. Oh, the music's amazing. Especially the opening with like the little flute music that plays, it's like Jade's like meditating, it's really oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's very kind of Studio Ghibli that bit. Yes, which I know Ansel mentioned was a, an influence. Not which I really like is the this really calm piece that plays while you're kind of like on in the hovercraft in the ocean, like a piano. Yeah. Track. Mm. It's like serene. Yeah. It's, it's got. 
Yes, yeah, it's, it's very calming, but it's kind of got something kind of melancholic about it. Then some dolphins will jump next to you. The track I really like is the um, theme from the bar. Like you can't, you, you yes. like yes. walk in and it's got this like, crazy hip hop beat going, and, and the melody is like kind of um, Arabic sounding almost. Yeah. So it yeah, sounds it's like a whole different. It, it sounds very going. modern for 2003, but also like kind of forward-thinking like it is from the future like a bit more cultural mm. crossover another thing went yeah there's a lot of variety there's, like, there's that kind of like spanish sounding music there's um like oriental sound mm. music and like the hip-hop kind of stuff and like kind of more kind of like traditional orchestral stuff and then i mean there's even like, kind of like a hardcore kind of song that plays him on the races and like like heavy guitar music yeah. oh yeah yeah and of course the reggae in the mama goes garage the, with the rhino guys yeah it, it's great it's like, there's so much personality in this game like literally every detail on it is just so yeah unique and just so different to kind of encounter like you know how many games can boast a yeah one minute you're talking to a gay latino <laughs> hologram and then the next second you're talking to a bunch of reggae rhino garage guys Hillis does feel like, like a really nice <laughs> you know, uh, planet like with with all the all the, yeah. all the cultural yeah, crossover really, the nice love... vibes the landscapes and like there's a real sense yeah. of like people mixing i guess because of all the different species of like animal people there are as well yeah, like yeah. if you take photos of them they count as animal species that you're supposed to send to the museum because like that's the one of the side quests is sending this stuff to catalogue yeah. all of the species that might die soon because the planet's under attack, which, which <laughs> is a pretty dark way to start that. But yeah. like, they all have like special uh, species yeah, yeah. names and everything. Like the the cat the cat lady yeah. is a Felis sapien. You have a pet polar bear as well. Yeah, yeah. I, re I really like how it feels like a very integrated world that's kind of sorted out a lot of its shit. Mm. And it, it, it gives it... Aside from the whole alien yeah, safe Yeah, that's what I mean. It, give, it gives a tangible sense that, like, something would be lost if you don't if you don't mm. stop what's going on. So, the game ends with a tease for a sequel. This is because it was intended to be the first game in a trilogy, but the game ended up performing yeah. pretty poorly, even though at the time it got great reviews from critics. I think one of the big reasons for this was around the mm. same time Ubisoft released Prince of Persia The Sands of Time and Prince of Persia I think it had been on the download for a little bit I hadn't heard of it until Sands of Time came out but because it was an established IP Ubisoft right. put all their marketing behind that game and Beyond Good Evil got kind of left by the wayside which is a bit sad it's, and it's also weird because it's yeah. the, because Michel Ansel he created Rayman which was like Ubisoft's big franchise at the time you'd think that they would a bit more goodwill yeah but I guess it's because it's a different vibe from Rayman. It's not like a colourful platformer. But then again, Rayman 2 was quite dark. One of the videos I watched to kind of research for this mentioned that Ubisoft developers st still get uh, told when they approach the higher-ups with new ideas, like, oh, but is this going to sell like Beyond Good and Evil didn't? And it's like, that was 20 years ago, and my brother in Christ, you're the one in charge of the marketing department. <laughs> That's impressive, isn't it? Yeah, that this idea that they still yeah. hold a grudge. It's crazy. 20 years. Uh, one thing I will say is this game did get one really notable fan, Peter Jackson. Part of creating the greatest movie trilogy of all time, The Lord of the Rings, he played Beyond Good and Evil and he enjoyed it so much. He mm. went straight to Michelle Ansel's team at Ubisoft and asked him to make the video game time for his next movie, which was King Kong. And that is famously one of the better movie tie-in games. I had that game as a kid. It was yeah, so did so I. Good. It's so good. Is that is is so good? Yeah. I mean, I liked the movie, but it's better than the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Probably shorter. Like... <laughs> He's a big monkey. What do you need to say? Who needs a four hour film? <laughs> yeah, I remember that game has like amazing first person mechanics. Like you can pick up a spear and then you can stab various animals and then have that animal at the end of the spear. It's so good. Like it's really well designed for that era. And actually one thing I wanted to mention because we were kind of talking about Ubisoft and that kind of culture. I did notice parallels between because I actually really loved Rayman. At the time for me it was Rayman Revolutions, but most people know it as Rayman 2 oh, or, Rayman or Rayman Revolution. Revolution. So, yeah. 
PS2 version of Rayman 2. I loved that game as a kid, and it was really interesting playing this and kind of having that game in my mind as well, because I was kind of thinking, because that's about a rebellion, yeah, a revolution essentially against an invading force. The, in that game, it's the pirates who uh, capture all of the inhabitants of the Rayman world, and you're the Rayman, and you start the game in prison, you've been captured, and then it's all about taking on this powerful alien empire. And I was just seeing the parallels between that and Beyond Good and Evil, yes, which is really that's cool. that's an interesting point. And the other month, I actually played the original, not Rayman Revolution, but Rayman 2. I already played it with my goddaughter when she came to visit, and she got into it, even though it was oh, like, nice. it was made like... 20 mm. years before she was born. Well, yeah, it's still a timeless game that like, you can still play it. And, uh, oh, and the Mosquito from the original Rayman and in the subsequent Rayman Origins and Legends, that Mosquito is in this game. It's one of the animals that you can find. Oh, uh, you know, like the big pink one with like the big eyes? Oh, yeah, you yeah. can find that. So anyway, that, that was just a cute little nod to Rayman. There has been a sequel to Beyond Good and Evil in development since 2008. <laughs> it has been 15 years since then. All we have got yeah. is several trailers, yeah. and I, I think we all kind of unanimously agree this game is probably never going to come out, or if it does come out, it's going to probably be like Duke Nukem. Wow. Well, the last update was from like 2019, and it was a tweet where they said it's yeah. almost done, <laughs> big things happening soon, and uh, yeah, radio silence ever since. Pretty much local bands kind of stuff, big things, big things happening, happening soon. soon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm concerned that Ubisoft have announced this new Star Wars game, which apparently has a very similar vibe in the sense that it's like you fly around like different planets and that sounds like that sounds to me like they've used the engine they were going to use for beyond good and evil 2 and put it onto the yeah. star wars game because yeah they probably hold a grudge against beyond good and evil to the point that they're like well, Star Wars yeah. will sell. Don't know if Beyond Good and Evil Star will. Star Wars will so, definitely sell. Yeah, so like, I guess like, well from their that. perspective, just yeah. taking what they had and slapping Star Wars on it would be the more bankable option. It yeah. sucks, obviously. So their first trailer that came out in like 2008, 2009 was kind of like a third-person Mirror's Edge kind of mm. thing. It's like Jade free-running through this desert and it looks really cool. I'm really sad that that game didn't come out. I think that that's the game that would have been good. All the other versions since then, they've gone for like a weird prequel, which is like a live-service MMO kind of deal. Yeah. There's been trailers with Jaden and they're like... I like the look at like the, the CGI in it the, looks amazing. But it's like, yeah, it's, it's like a weird prequel now. It felt like they were slapping Beyond Good and weird. Evil on the name on something that's not really Beyond Good and Evil. But yeah, because I think, think recently they said in an interview, I think it was around the time we did our last episode, they said they were struggling to find a vibe for the game. Which is not something you want to hear in 15 years into development. No, and I think my big thing for me is, I mentioned this when we were chatting about it, is that like none of, at least the later, like the 2018 trailers and, and those ones, they don't don't touch on the theme of photography at all. And I, I think that kind of misses the point that we've been talking about. This idea that like Beyond Good and Evil is about, it's not about like, it's not Star Wars, you know? I think that's the, my problem is that like, they probably realized that what they had was very much like Star Wars. So let's just slap Star Wars on it. You know what I mean? That's because you lost the things that made Beyond Good and Evil Beyond Good and Evil. And now it's just a weird science fiction world that just happens to have animal people in it. You know? I think that's the same kind of thing Naughty Dog experience when they were doing Jack 4. Because I think they were they're working on a new Jack and Daxter, but they're doing it something kind of like, more kind of like realistic. And then mm. they kind of realised this isn't Jack and Daxter. We're just slapping the name on it for marketing purposes. And then that game got shelved. And then the developers went and made The Last of Us instead. <laughs> well, they, they did. A, that was probably the right decision. <laughs> That's very funny. According to Wikipedia, I, th I think it's probably backed up somewhere with an article outside of Wikipedia. But apparently Netflix is making a hybrid live action animated movie movie based on Beyond Good and Evil, but I'm taking that with a pinch of salt because it was announced in 2020 and nothing has been announced since then. Do you know what? It's probably more likely to happen than the sequel. <laughs> Maybe make a sequel <laughs> if it's any good. I feel like they're doing the show and then releasing the game is, you know, if I'm being charitable, it's like a decent strategy, I guess. Because then at least they might be able to drum up some new fans. Because like the first game was 20 years ago and I know it's got like a good word of mouth and stuff now 
but I think they've kind of missed the boat on just doing a sequel without doing anything else with it. Yeah, they did. I, that's what I mean about, like, I wish they had just released a game in 2008. Yeah, that was just going to be the next part of the trilogy. Like, that's what they promised, and that's clearly what they were developing at that point. And then they just, yeah, then things went to hell yeah. a bit. I think they, Michelle Ansel then worked on, was it Rayman Origins, or was it Rayman Legends oh, Rayman that he Origins, went on to? But there Legends. was, like, other, which, again, was probably the right thing because Rayman Origins is like amazing but it's oh, a shame that Beyond Good and Evil just yeah it, it's a shame that it, Beyond Good and Evil lost out because of like these other games and that's the other thing Michel Ansel he's not even at Ubisoft anymore wow this yeah. goes into the next part of the discussion <laughs> Potentially <laughs> abusive workplace guy. <laughs> yeah, very cool. Good friends with what's his name, Eves Guillemot. My understanding is that Michel Ansel, I think he did very well under Eves Guillemot's culture, <laughs> let's say. A culture which has since been criticized, as you said, for various uh, abusive and bullying and sexual harassment yeah. and etc etc michelle and so i don't think there's been any sexual harassment stuff against bullying, him it's mainly yeah. accusation yeah, and, just, uh, um, shooting down other people's ideas and stuff yeah. like in like a really humiliating way for the employees like just being a real dick about it yeah i get the feeling that he comes from that crunch era you know he he, he seems like a guy who's like very i had to go through hell why shouldn't you he that was accused kind of, of this stuff and then and denied it but then immediately quit ubisoft so like make of that what you will i guess <laughs> i know what i make of it <laughs> yeah like yeah, immediately very, stepped um... down from the project that he's been air quotes developing for the last 15 years like, just jumps out immediately. This is the other thing, is he was, yeah, very good friends with this Eves Guillemot guy, and I think Guillemot gave him a lot more leeway than he would have given any other developer, because the idea of having a game developing for over 15 years is just insane. No business model works like that. Because, I mean, the only thing comparable is um, Duke Nukem Forever, which you've mentioned before, and that came out, like, I think that mm. it been developed since 1997. It didn't come out till like, 2000 2011 and it came out and it was yeah. like nothing like any of the trailers that have been released beforehand things made by completely different people and yeah it just wasn't what people wanted yeah. and the, like, the title was a reference to Batman Forever which came out in 1995 and the game <laughs> came out in 2011 wow being charitable I don't know I've never played Duke Nukem or Duke Nukem Forever but people wanted Duke Nukem Forever and like the original sold well I think right so presumably they yeah. weren't yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they weren't having to deal with the number crunches diverting funds elsewhere to projects that they thought would make a better return whereas like the beyond good and evil guys probably were but like 15 years is crazy just give it up what's interesting is that duke nukem forever and beyond good and evil do have one very interesting similarity in that both of them announced a big trailer very early on so like i think it was like 1999 or something duke nukem forever announced this like a really cool looking trailer that everyone freaked out about because like, oh my <laughs> Oh my god it's the return of duke nukem it's gonna be great it's very similar to the 2008 stuff about beyond good and evil that then got scrapped much like the beyond good and evil 2 of 2008 and i think just what happens is that yeah is that for whatever reason they don't just stick to the original idea and instead developers just get caught up in a whirlwind of like oh what if we did this and it's like what if you just stick to the original <laughs> brief and just get the game out you know what i mean like rather than just torturing yourselves which is apparently what you were doing and oh dear, it's a shame it's a real shame because it's like it's tarnished the legacy of beyond good and evil the fact that like the developer turns out to be a <laughs> scumbag yeah it's a shame <laughs> and it, it's a shame it, and, it, and it's not fair on the people who did work on it i mean like i said the trailers like the 2018 trailer is like incredible like the amount of work that clearly went into it is insane and it's like wow this was in service of how many nothing. how many of those 15 years <laughs> do you think they spent developing just the trailer <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, and that's another thing I thought about with that trailer is I remember watching it and they're being like all kind of like dropping f bombs and stuff in it. I was like, whoa, that was not beyond good and evil. That was like a seven plus game, at least in the UK. I think it might be in the T rating in America, but like, why are they suddenly dropping f bombs and stuff? Like, I know people have grown up with the original game. Yeah, it's like it would have been a different vibe if yeah. Double H was just charging through things, yelling "fuck you" the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> Page just swears like a I, sailor I see the that entire from time. Him. I can see him doing that. I, I do, do My fucking yeah. horror boots! <laughs> <laughs> okay, so to kind of wrap things up, um, what's kind of your favourite section of the game or favourite part of the game? This isn't my favourite part, but I really like the idea of sneaking into a government facility during a race. I just yeah. think that's a oh, really yeah, fun that's, idea. That's a cool idea. idea, yeah. And that felt like sequence breaking almost. Like, obviously, it's actually designed as part of the game like it's like the yeah stage. but it feels like in metroid when you find an exploit to get a power up early and then play the game in the wrong order yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it feels like you're breaking into yeah. the level you, you like... turn no <laughs> on, yeah. i just i love that and then and then it's absolutely nuts because you go in and then there's like a giant spider robot attacking you i think another thing oh, yeah. i've kind of talked about with the game feel but just the idea this game is so cinematic like it, it hits you oh, with so yeah. many like when every character is introduced they have like a <laughs> A snapshot of them the way that yeah like a giant spider attacks you at one point and you just seamlessly go past it to the point that you forget it was even there like I about completely forgot about it until you mentioned it <laughs> The way the cutscenes are kind of like filmed is like a big, it's kind of like a real cinematic feel to it, which I think was becoming more commonplace around yeah. this era with stuff like Metal Gear Solid, which was very much honing that kind of yeah. cinematic feeling games, like making yeah. point of these these games of stories we're going to approach them like movies that you interact with. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. For my favourite part, I feel bad because a lot of it's the self sections. <laughs> Say what you want. I I'm really not liked. You. <laughs> oh, I really liked sneaking through the closed-off section of the town. So, like, most of the stealth sections take place in like the government facilities. But I, I really liked just this idea that like there was a part of town that was like taken over by the alpha sections that like people weren't allowed into, and that you then break into because you need like to get some stuff. And then you do get caught, and then finally you're declared an outlaw because the evil Alpha Section's bad guy actually does yeah. see you, and they're like they're like shooting at you, and you're like sprinting down the corridor, having all of these lasers shooting at you. Again, very cinematic and insane. And then Double H rescues you. Oh, it's such a fun little mm. sequence. Lost sweetheart. <laughs> Break up the team. Carlson and Peters, page 823. So I actually really like that one. Even though it's literally one of the ones where, like, yeah, the, the auto kill bots are like waiting for you so but i like that bit so hey ho i also just really like the animal mm. photo stuff but that's the whole game in general anyway yeah that's me i think my favorite is actually the same bit as no. <laughs> <laughs> i like the i i know i was shitting on the stuff that bit's fun but finding the like optional stealth bits was really cool like you said like uh, kind of wandering into the warehouse and mm. finding the, the puzzle with all the conveyor belts and the lasers that was cool oh, yeah, that, that was cool. really and then like yeah the, the chase across yeah. the rooftop running away from the alpha sections is there like blowing shit up behind you that is very <laughs> cinematic because it's got like the camera looking back at the character like jade is facing mm. towards the camera and all you can see all the stuff happening yeah, behind it's, you it's, it's very like action a, movie yeah it's an insane crash bandicoot scene <laughs> yeah now, now i'm thinking about it i think that might be my favorite bit as well it's just the <laughs> one bit that's kind of this, this one bit that kind of like stands out because it's just such a cool kind of sequence because it's it, it's yeah it's, it's something that's it's not like a main part of the story but it's something like you can just kind of stumble across when you're like looking for extra stuff to do mm. and yeah, you kind of just... Hmm. The puzzle's really cool because you've got to really think about how you approach it. Then you think you've done the puzzle. Then, no, we're on the roof and then suddenly you're getting chased by loads of people. It's yeah, so that, cool. Yeah, I did not see cool that coming. Cool, epic action <laughs> cutscene at the end. And one other part I wanted to bring up is just I really like the look of the alien moon base that you turn oh, yeah. up on at the end. Oh, yeah. There's some cool puzzles in that as well. Yeah, with the whole... You, you turn the lights around. But I really liked just the... kind of reminded me 
Now, I don't know if you had this feeling, Joe, but it kind of reminded me of Eternal Darkness. The, yeah. The kind the, like, of just kind the, of, a, the alien look, it's, it's look like of everything. Kind of, uh, I can't really think of a better term for this. It's got a kind of squelchy but jagged look. But, yeah. Like it, it, the walls look like they're made of kind of soft stuff, but everything's kind of spiky. Well, you have the, there's like a bone yeah. structure as well. Like you're inside like a giant skeleton, like you're inside like a whale skeleton. You know, I think when this game goes cinematic, it does it really well. Like when the camera kind of zooms out as you're going over the bridge between the buildings on the moon base right yeah yeah exactly and you're like sprinting across and then you find ah oh, it's, it's it's so good <laughs> as we've said the gameplay it's not the best but when this game wants to be cool it does it really well it's one of the coolest ps2 experiences you can have i think well not just ps2 gamecube as well that era it's a cool little game i think from a very specific time and ewan so next time what we're going to talk about and this will be in october for our halloween episode yes we are doing halloween <laughs> no, we are. Sorry, I don't know what I'm saying there. Um, no. To be fair, we have to do a Halloween episode. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I will only do it if we talk about everything but the first Halloween film and we only talk about the sequels. I've already watched them once. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good comparison, actually, because Beyond Good and Evil, it's a cool little game where it's like, oh man, it's a shame it didn't have a sequel, where like Halloween is like, no, it's a bad thing that there were sequels. Uh, but anyway, um, no, we are returning to a series that we've covered twice before. It is, of course, Resident Evil. We are onto my favorite game in the series, Resident Evil 3, or Resident Evil 3 Nemesis. I should say. Stars. So I'm very excited because it's hard as balls. <laughs> um, <laughs> as I discovered while playing it recently on, on There's my no normal difficulty. <laughs> There's no normal difficulty, guys. You either do easy or hard, and that that's what you got. So I'm very excited to attempt it on hard mode yeah. and just get pulverized by a giant mutant monster 1200 times. I've only ever played it's it on easy mode, which gives you every single gun. <laughs> so. I played on hard because I have toxic masculinity. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I felt like the game was cooling me out if I chose easy. I guess we'll also talk about the remake as well. Yeah. I mean, when we did Resident Evil 2, we touched on the remake, so yeah. Maybe. Yeah, so, okay, so we'll cover other Resident Evil things. I'll get you guys to watch. Oh, God, Resident Evil... Uh, Is it Apocalypse? I think it's Resident Evil yes, Apocalypse, that's the one with it. Resident Nemesis. Evil Apocalypse, because that has Nemesis in it, so I will force you guys the, to watch um, that. It's live-action ones. It's the, well, yes. it's the second live-action one. I don't think it's going to be as good as his Mortal Kombat movie. Mortal Kombat movie is pretty good. It is a great movie. I watched it at the weekend. The sequel, not so good, but the first one's pretty solid. Hey-ho. But yeah, so that's us, I guess. We're Until Bluecast. next time, the Bluecast bids you farewell. Bye. Bye. A Starkov. <laughs> a Starkov restores one heart of energy. Bye. Bye. A Starkov restores. A Starkov restores. A Starkov restores one heart of your energy. Bitch can't even swim.